Welcome, everyone, to episode 93 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Walter Pysik. And back from Beverly Hills, the podcast police himself, from red hair to green. Actually, you know what, Rich? It looks like you're like the state police for China with that background. Richard Greenfield. Rich. Oh God! Why are you using a propaganda piece as your background? Because that the is, Olympics, is, that the, is, the Olympics are in Beijing, but you're just saying that's the, not what yeah, China but, looks like. Yeah, but that's, I mean, and anyone could see this, even if you're not watching the video of the podcast, because it's on the, uh, the picture from the email um, that you click to open this up. Instead of nuclear power plants, it's a pristine winter scene in the city of Beijing or the artist creation of Beijing that Rich has here. Rich, my born again friend, how are you? I'm really good, Brandon. Um, well, you're gotta, clearly not that good as the next song on Spotify. Is well, because you had me keep roll. playing it. Well, you had me keep playing it, and then I just, you know, I didn't turn it off because I, I, let, song, I let it just next roll. Song. But I know. Oh, yeah, it is. Honestly, I think we should yeah. do one of these maybe for our 100th episode where we just DJ the whole time, and that's it. And then we comment over like the, turntable, over the song. turntable FM. Like, oh, dude. Which, by the way, even though it came back in the building blocks of the metaverse, what happened to it? Did it not get traction the second time around? Turntable.fm? I don't know, but I, I, I did this especially for you for a second, Brandon. The idea of a nice shot of the... Uh, no, your head, your nice... green your green hair uh, is blocking. I, I know, I'm blocking it. A nuclear power plant. <laughs> His green hair was... Well, actually, that's not even the, the best shot, is if you, if yeah. you panned out even further... Let me see if I get a better the industrial one. area that they put this um, jump, the ski jump in to. Now we're going to sit here and wait with dead time. Brandon, uh, you know, well, no, talking, the peop- talking about the people on the podcast um, yeah. don't actually click on a link. It gets downloaded to their podcast uh, oh. listener, right? Oh, I'm not the operations guy. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I'm, I'm the I'm the big guy. I'm the big. It's good to know what you're good for, Brandon, because you're definitely <laughs> Brandon, not good for that. Who are you taking for this uh, Sunday Super Bowl? Are you going to take the Bengals? This the line started at four and a half. It was four on um, Caesars. Yeah, it's now three and a half. So the line's been coming in because I think everyone, no one really wants the Rams to win. They they're no. Know, they mostly- I, I want the Bengals, but I think the Rams are going to cover that, which means you should bet the Bengals. Well, I just think the line itself has gotten a little tastier because, you know, I don't know. I think there's just so much money going on. the Emo- Emotional money, emotional movings. Yeah. Or something, but we'll say so you're so you're taking the Rams. You're rooting for the Bengals, but you're taking you would take the Rams at three and a half. Well, as you know, Walt, I only bet arbitrage opportunities. That's the only so- time you bet. OK, <laughs> so in your fictional world, <laughs> it was. Uh, I'll so probably, no prop bets, heads or tails. No, I'll, I'll do no. I'll do a little something. I'll look through. I what I like to bet on is individual. Don't you have like six thousand dollars sitting in your account? No, I I pulled that out. Right, so I made six thousand five hundred. I think net of the fees on the Caesars promo. I'm probably going to do the points bets uh, promo this weekend. I think it's like two thousand dollars each side. So. Jess and I will bet the same bets and we'll, we'll figure it out. So you're showing a lot of loyalty to the sports betting platforms. I, I mean, look, I'm a huge sports fan, as you know, but I'm like a Jersey guy. Not I am in New Jersey now, but I'm not. I mean, like I root for the Jersey, but not for the team formerly from New Jersey, a.k.a. the Nets, because I root for the Sixers. Well, as a point of fact, yes. the new the New York football team does play in New Jersey, so you are a Jersey guy. <laughs> Both of them. Uh, uh, yeah, but not the Bills. There's only one New York football team. It's called the Buffalo Bills. Okay. Um, we, I, I do. Get- no, the only thing I really care to discuss this week, I don't really yeah. care about what happened in our professional world, is the James Harden Ben Simmons trade. <laughs> Um, and I was called out by two people after this trade who listened to the podcast. 
that I said a year. (laughs) That is the podcast police coming. (laughs) Anyway, I did call James Harden a fat fuck, but I have to root for him now. And onward and upward to the first topic. You can call someone a fat fuck and still root for them. That's fine. But I said I wouldn't trade. I mean, I I do it about Brandon all the time and I still root for Brandon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've I've been working out. All right, can we, let's get to the the real topics now. Well, the the first slide we've got is um, actually relates to points bet, Brandon. So why don't you read it? Since you're going to be betting on points bet this weekend. Oh, I am, but I'm going to be arbitraging points bet, not betting points bet. Um, let's see what this says. To make matters worse, several sports betting operators approached points bet, offering to buy the company right before it reached the NBC deal. And points bet refused. People familiar with the matter said. Instead, points bet insisted on forging ahead with NBC. And to be um, clear, this is a Josh Cosman story. So let's just qualify this. This is a Josh Cosman story in the New York Post. The creative so. Cosman. Yeah, I mean, but I guess the big thematic here is we said that there was going to be sports betting consolidation over time, that we would it would become an oligopoly. <laughs> We've said it like a million times. Um, it's really hasn't started yet. It looks like there were overtures made to points bet points bet rejected them. If you believe Josh Cosman and they kind of forge ahead with this, I don't know, NBC affiliate deal, I guess it is, but they're clearly struggling in the U S like they are definitely a struggling entity. They're not even buying a super bowl ad and they're, I mean, NBC is the sponsor or is hosting the super bowl and their sports betting partner will not be one of the sports books advertising during the super bowl. Yeah. You know, the points bet system is actually a little bit different, right? It, it It's a little riskier of a bet. It's a lot of it isn't just like straight up, like betting the under over it's you get rewarded or not um, based on the magnitude of outcomes. And maybe some people don't like that. I don't know. As you know, I'm not really um, a big sports better. Walt, have you used the points bet platform? Uh, I have not. No. Okay. And I think most regular gamblers are not looking at you know you can obviously spread your increase your spreads or decrease your spreads another another uh in any application i don't know if you have to focus there just basically change the line i don't know based on based on the ad i got which i was going to arbitrage on it seemed like that was the thing but okay you know i'm going to give myself this um moving on we've got um it's it's oh god oh god this is gonna be such a long podcast i'm gonna need no no i'm gonna need alcohol to get through this i think um so alex sherman's got a tweet we're bidding for it bob chapik uh says to julia borston this was on cnbc in an interview earlier in the week regarding sunday ticket and it follows the fact that just uh, last week andrew marchand um had a tweet basically saying his newsletter that here comes Apple aggressively going after Sunday ticket. And, you know, it's Super Bowl week. And I think we sort well, of let's finish that. Let's finish that out in talks for MLS and MLB rights, Verizon NFL mobile deal in play. So we could talk about everything a little more holistically. Go ahead, Rich. Totally. I, th- I guess the, the larger issue here is it's Super Bowl week. Normally there's a lot, you know, Goodell does his press conference. We, we sort of were hoping that maybe we would get something this week about Sunday ticket. Obviously, that didn't get announced. I would assume it's going to be fairly soon. I think the the big question we're struggling with is, you know, why does Disney want this so badly? Um, and, you know, the reality is it, it feels like ESPN's got real headwinds long term. I don't think investors really no one's buying Disney stock. For ESPN, they they clearly love the theme parks. They clearly love the opportunity in Disney Plus, but no one's buying it for ESPN Plus. And so, you know, we wrote about this earlier in the week. But like, why is why are they not using ESPN as a cash cow? And maybe they will. But I was surprised to hear that Chapik, you know, sort of with the you know that that Disney really wants this. And I, my guess is they end up being very disciplined. And you know, they're talking about discipline in IPL in India too. But I I kind of think if Apple really wants this. It makes, I know we've said this before weeks, you know, months ago, probably on this podcast, but if Apple really wants this, the NFL should sell it to them because having another digital partner 
would be huge for sports, sports leagues, teams, et cetera. It just seems to be so positive for the NFL. Even if Apple wasn't the high financial bidder, I would do it. Yeah. Is there an, uh, was was there ahead. another quotation that I missed? Because you you just characterize it as saying shape it really wants it. And I think the quote you put up on the screen was they're bidding on it. And there's a huge difference between those two statements. So was there a quote that I missed that Chapik said? No, no, no. It, no. it sounded from, from a tone perspective, the way he answered the question, I think that was with Julia, um, is that they're kind of, they're, they're in for sure. And they're probably going to be aggressive with it. What I find most interesting about Sunday ticket is this has been dangling out there for quite a while. And the bids had come in too low, I believe, um, for the NFL, which is why it was still dangling out there. Now, all of a sudden, there's a lot of a lot more interest. Am I wrong? I think Walt's right. There's a big disconnect in all everything that you guys are saying. Like what you said was accurate, Brand. It's been dangling out there for long. So to say to claim someone really wants it, I would just look at the words rather than the tone because the tone. The NFL can be subjective in their distribution partners based on who they think is going to invest in the product after they actually buy it. So, of course, whoever's bidding on us be like, oh, yeah, we really want it. We love it. Yada, yada, yada. But do they? Because if they really wanted it, they could have made a knockout offer six months ago. Yeah, I think right now, though, Chapik is establishing himself in the lead and setting his priorities. Rich's thesis is that ESPN is going to become just a straight cash cow and a funding mechanism for the rest of the Disney complex. I don't know if that's the case at this point. And also based on the language that came out on our you know, Zoom callback with Christine McCarthy for all the analysts, it sounded like they're there uh, on this. And maybe they believe that ESPN will become the singular sports destination over the top, and they could eventually run the table, again, push down um, the price of sports rights by having some kind of like pseudo monopoly. But my message to the NFL when Apple and Amazon's there, go ahead. My message to the NFL would be, Take ESPN because they've got the best app and they're investing in it. Because I look at NBC, your app is terrible. You you have the Olympics. You spent all this money in the Olympics and your app is terrible for Peacock and, and the coverage of the Olympics. And I flip over, I flipped over during the Olympics over to, I believe it was the FA Cup. And the functionality of that ESPN app is is far beyond any other sports app that's on the market today, period. So on that callback, which we got invited to, it was sort of the first time Disney's ever done sort of Rich was so callback. Rich was so happy that he made his hair blue. But I but I asked, but I asked Christine, the CFO of Disney, McCarthy, and I asked her, you know, why invest in sports rights when you don't own and control it? Like you don't you can't export it globally, you can't make toys out of it, you can't really do much in your theme parks. Like, why are you in the sports rights acquisition business versus just gunning general entertainment content and Marvel and all of those things. And her answer was sort of interesting because she basically said, look, that's one of the real issues that we're analyzing internally and we're really debating. And it, I almost feel like I must, I think I'm actually more in Walt's camp here. It's like, I think Disney's sort of setting investors up for maybe they don't win IPL in India. Like maybe they just don't actually spend the money. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe they give up on Sunday ticket and just don't spend the money because the math doesn't act or I, I the don't know, isn't Rich. As strategic. Rich, I don't know because part of what Christine said was that the talk of prices that are out there, um, she doesn't know where those prices come from, that it may be a plant to sort of like get the competitive juices in the market going. It kind of reminds me of, I don't, do you remember when WWE was doing their last renewal internationally and everyone was like, oh my God, yep. India is going to be a five X like hot stars bidding against Sony and all this is happening in that market. And then it came in like up 20% or something. Right. Know? It was like, very different. Yeah. It was, it was a very different outcome. So I think the rumor mill that comes out of that market be, is especially um, easy to manipulate because a lot of investors are not don't have boots on the ground in that in that market and really understand what's going on there. Moving on to Roblox, Brandon. This is from Dan Linden. 
inbox NFL teams with Roblox to launch, quote, NFL tycoon to engage the next generation of NFL football fans in the metaverse. Um, this kind of reminded me of a cross be between like a Sim City of the NFL and the game mode in Madden, where like the franchise mode in Madden, um, where I mean, based on what I read, where you kind of like start a franchise and you have to run the whole thing um, within Roblox. Clearly, the NFL is has been trying to reach younger audiences. Its audience base um, has been getting much older over time. They did the thing with Nickelodeon and now they're doing Roblox. And I think if you want to reach young people, Roblox is the place that you need to do it. And this is most notable because it's obviously the biggest media brand that has done a partnership with Roblox and it's a permanent one. This isn't just like a fly-by-night promo. This is going to be a permanent uh, experience within the ecosystem. That is all. Do you think we see it as building blocks over time or where you actually can use NFL content within other I'm, experiences? I'm sure that's, I'm sure that will be there. This is a discrete experience right. in and of itself, Rich. But I think what you're getting to is the idea that assets will be put into place in the ecosystem for UGC creators to utilize in their experiences, um, which is a essentially free promo vehicle. Because no offense, and, I'm, and maybe the experience will be great that the NFL does, but I feel like what really is the special sauce of these platforms is not them building experiences themselves, but allowing people to just innovate with the IP. And I feel like that's where this sort of over time, I think that's what has to happen in terms of the unbundling of content or the yeah. comfort that people can just build with this stuff. Because people, I'm sure, would love to build all types of NFL experiences or things around the Super Bowl, you know, tied to the IP if they had access to it within Roblox. I think that's a great point. I think, though, that you're probably going to see more professional level content sit alongside UGC content on this particular platform because some of the professional things that have happened have been pretty successful. I think the place to point to really is, is music. And there's the Geta experience um, that is, is coming out now. Um, and um, yeah, the, some of the brand experiences that have been pretty successful. We talk about them all the time, Gucci gardens and the vans, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is a completely different platform than the ones that we've seen in social media and we'll see what happens moving on to comcast hulu disney um sort of depressing i mean i guess it's sort of the only way to frame it there are wall street journal multiple sources all reporting that today's the day like today it sounds like is the day comcast has to make a decision it was supposed to be i think end of year last year but it was moved to today Comcast has to decide whether they're taking their con their content back off of Hulu and putting it exclusively onto um, Peacock. Um, and it's sort of, you know, we, we talked about at the beginning of the year, one of our predictions was, you know, Disney essentially uses ESPN as a cash cow and its priorities are to get Hulu or to, to take full control of Hulu. I still think they need to, and I think it's critical that they do, but it's weird that they you know, Comcast renews their deal with Disney for distribution of cable networks, no Hulu included. Yep. Now they're basically ending the Hulu partnership, but they're missing the one thing that everyone's waiting for, which is when are you going to solve the ownership issue? And are you really waiting till 2024 to figure out this Hulu ownership? And so I'm happy that, you know, that Comcast is sort of moving forward and, and trying to strengthen Peacock with their own content. But it just seems for Disney like they've got this larger issue sitting out there. And how can this not be part of that conversation? Because it doesn't sound like they're solving the Hulu ownership stake tonight, or that doesn't seem like that's what we're about to hear from any of the stories that are coming out. Well, my question is, what is Hulu going forward? Right. Because now you you finally this quarter heard Bob Chapik say that Disney Plus is going to lean further into general entertainment, that it is important. That's well, you why know, don't you read the second you, tweet? You read the second tweet. Okay. 
Uh, this is from What's on Disney Plus. Bob Chapik has said the biggest way for growth for Disney Plus in the U.S. is more general entertainment content like Grownish, Blackish, as it's working extremely well in Europe. I mean, and again, Rich, I have to give you credit. You have said that they need to become much more Netflix-like and appeal to broader audiences than what they do. And now that's something they're doing because it actually is working in Europe. But if you start putting that content on Disney+, Plus, what is left for Hulu? Well, you're taking off the Comcast stuff or the NBC stuff. You're taking off grownish, blackish. You're not doing any of the Marvel and Lucasfilm stuff. So like Hulu becomes what? Like Pamela and Tommy Lee, FX content. I mean, that's what like, they say. No, Isn't that I mean, what just Christine like, said? I mean, they said uh, like much more adult content. I mean, I was like, is this going in the Skinamax direction? <laughs> and like Disney Plus is going to be the HBO? Like, no, no just, idea. It, well, first of all, I don't. I just don't understand. Like, it. I still come back to Disney Plus needs to be broader. I don't know why the content on Hulu, like. I watched only murderers in the building or whatever that, you know, one with, with Steve Martin, like it could have been a show. It was on Hulu, but it, it could have been an original on Disney. You, Plus. Have, you have time to watch television. That was a long time ago. I watched. Oh, okay. It, just making sure. But it, it just seems strange that they are still, they, but look until they solve the ownership, I get the whole issue. It just seems like solve the ownership, create one service, whether it's called Disney plus, I don't even care what the name is, but just one service and geofence, you, you know, the you can tie you can tile in Hulu and make it an add on to Disney Plus if you want. I just don't understand what this whole waiting game seems to just not be in Disney's best interest. But look, I'm certainly glad well, Comcast in the has to play ball, though, right? Sure. But as you, you know. But if you move the content off of Hulu and then you start putting some of all the Disney family content instead of on Hulu, you start putting it on Disney Plus. Like, what is like, you know, what is Hulu? Like, I think this is going to be interesting. Like what happens to Hulu subgrowth over the next year as you move, you know, as sort of it becomes something different than what it's been, I guess, is the, the end takeaway. By the way, one interesting thing that Christine said was that you could see the same content on both services. Yeah, which just, again, seems confusing to the consumer. Like, why do I mean, I don't know. I didn't understand that at all. Like. Just have one service, make it simple. One service, one login. Nobody complains that there is adult content, skewing content sitting next to family content on Netflix. Like Coco Melon sits next to Squid Game and nobody complains. That's because there's controls to prevent that. But um, I thought Joelle used to say that Hulu has live sports. (laughs) You just kept saying, what does Hulu have? Every time you said that, every time I was, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Can I do something for myself right now? You interrupted is what you did. The podcast police. No, 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 because I want to finish off on that because it's a very important point, Walt, because I think it it raises the question of if Hulu is going more into sort of adult, more risque fare, and it's not going to be a family entertainment service, what is going on with Hulu Live? Like it's got 4.3 million subscribers. That's where the sports comes in. It's clearly not the core focus of the Walt Disney Company. Like you sort of even wonder, like, why is Disney in the linear distribution of, of broadcast and cable network business? And I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's four million of Hulu's 40 plus million subscribers. It'll be interesting what you know, it's obviously it's not global. Do they keep it or do they actually just look to get out of that business over time? Because it doesn't, it doesn't really seem very strategic to Disney going forward. But let's um, let's go to the next slide we've got. I'm going to call on a little bit of an audible just because it sort of ties into Disney a little bit in that um, this is Lucas Shaw tweeting out Netflix once again secures the most Oscar nominations of any big media company. The top five Netflix with 21, Disney Searchlight with 18, Warner Brothers 16, Universal Focus 7, and then Apple 6, not listed Amazon, Sony or Paramount. But it, it just sort of I thought it was interesting that, you know, the same time that this came out. Bob Chapik, this is a Ryan Fowder, F- F- Founder tweet. 
Bob Chapik, we do not subscribe to the belief that theatrical is the only way to build a Disney franchise. Sites in Canto, which has only become a phenomenon after its Disney Plus release, as an example. And I would actually say it's not just because it's on Disney Plus, it's actually become huge on TikTok. And I think it's driving people to watch it on Disney Plus is my gut. But um, I think just you're seeing more and more the studios getting more comfortable with streaming. Marry Me, which is a universal title day and date today on Peacock and in theaters. And I don't think it's going to do very much in theaters, but I do think it's going to be a nice event for Peacock. It's a rom-com, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, I think Owen Wilson, but I forget. Uh, I forget who the other star in it is. But the point is more and more of the studios getting comfortable with streaming release of content. And they should, given what's happening with box office down, I think 57-ish percent year to date. But it's just interesting that you know you hear more and more. That when I was just out in LA, people are still like, you can't launch a movie on streaming or you can't create cultural buzz on streaming or talent really doesn't want to work for a streaming movie. Yet when you see Netflix with the most nominations and you see a lot of searchlight titles are actually getting success because they were on Hulu, like Nomadland, just sort of hard. It doesn't hold water. I think talent, talent goes where they can get viewed and where they can make lots of money. In my view, that rom-com that you referenced, which I saw a commercial on uh, when I was watching the Olympics on my direct TV distribution channel um really underscored everything that we've talked about and you specifically have talked about in terms of that is, that is a classic movie that would have been a theater movie and that and it's you have you have like i don't know what they paid these people but these are well known i mean owen wilson's a well-known uh actor and so is whoever it was j-lo or whoever you know so it, it had the all the feelings of a, like a traditional movie that you would go to the theater for. And it was like, Oh, it's streaming and it's, you know, it's going to be in your whatever app it was going to be on. I think, I think and that was a, a, it, like a penultimate example of, of, I think what you've been talking about. Can I ask a question? Are the Oscars even relevant at all anymore? All right. Now we're, we're media people here, the three of us. Well, hold on. Are the Grammys relevant? But let's let's start with with the oscars okay can rich media guru there are 10 nominees for best picture look at me so i know you're not googling it name five of them oh five is gonna be hard name three of them year of the dog okay have, have you seen don't year look of up the dog is it even out Year of the Dog is Netflix. It's it, people say it is going to win. I, even people that don't want Netflix to win an Academy Award for Best yes, Picture it, say okay. there's a very good chance it wins Best Picture. And I have not seen it. Okay. I have seen Don't Look Up, which I literally yeah, I, I know it. I'm the only person on the place and I hated it. I don't know. I hated it too. I, I was bored to death. But yeah. I know lots of people that love the messaging and the whatever. I, I don't know. I thought it was trite overall. But I yeah. believe Nomad Land would be the other one. That would be three. Uh, no get land one best picture picture last year. year. Sorry. <laughs> um, you're I think right. I don't even know. No, right. you're right. So you're right. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that I can't that, like, name other ones? That's right. And you, you are Mr. Media himself. That just goes to show you the relative relevancy. Now, the one that I remembered was licorice pizza because it's PT Anderson. I love PT Anderson. I want to see it. Um, but I will wait. I don't need to see that in the theater. I was, isn't that I was nuts just, though? Well, I just think it, sh it just shows you how, like, you're just, I mean, look, I don't know why that is. I mean, I think it's been a trend for many years. I don't think it's a new thing. Like, I think if you had asked me last year to name the Oscar nominations or even two years ago, I would probably struggle to just well, name them off the top of my I, head. I, I think that as the amount of, Film content has moved onto streaming platforms that sort of people caring less about the theatrical experience, much more of the relevant content being television. It's just lost its luster. That's so all. Let me give you the list. Well, let me give you the list. Belfast, which I don't know what that is. Coda, which was Apple. Supposedly, it's amazing. It's on my list to see. Don't Look Up, we talked about. Drive My Car, no idea what that is. Dune, which I know Walter loved. King yeah. Richard, which I actually thought was amazing. That was HBO Max. Yep. Um, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, never heard of. The Power of the Dog. I said Year of the Dog, Power of the Dog, uh, which is Netflix. And then West Side Story, no clue how that is in there. I guess that's the power of Steven Spielberg. So the highest grossing movie of all time was not on that list. 
Um, Marvel got one nomination in the entire um, Oscars. <clears throat> they hate Marvel. They hate Star Wars. They hate all the all that stuff. The only reason Disney gets that many nominations is because they bought Fox Searchlight and branded it Disney Searchlight. And that's what they're using Hulu now for, to drive that. It's just but crazy. No. I mean, I used to look forward to the Oscars every year, try and see every movie, and now I just don't don't even care. Oh, well. Um, speaking of uh, HBO Max and sort of the Warner Media world, Claire Atkinson has a tweet. The Justice Department, which tried to stop AT&T's Time Warner deal uh, unsuccessfully, uh, that was an ad lib, uh, has no problems with it being unwound. In a filing today, Discovery revealed that the clock ran out on the regulatory challenges from the government. So sort of all signs point to this deal not closing mid-year, but probably closing sometime uh, probably, you know, my guess is by April, you have a combined, I think they just set the shareholder voted discovery was just sent, I think for March 11th, I just saw. So this should get done in April, my guess, which is, brings up all the question of like, who's running Warner Media? A lot of jobs are going to get, you know, decided. Uh, we're going to find out whether Discovery Plus is being sort of jammed into HBO Max, CNN Plus. There's no chance CNN Plus is going to be a standalone service. You know, there's actually some really good content, not news content, but sort of, um, you know, sort of, uh, I would say, you know, you know, the docs and all of the content that is beyond sort of just, quote unquote, news. That's probably going to go into HBO Max and make it a more rounded offering. The question, Brandon, that I have is the price point is fourteen ninety nine. Can they, which, you know, I think people were sort of not unhappy with originally when they launched this service of like, is that too high? Now, the question is, if you jam in both Discovery Plus and CNN Plus, do you go to 17 or 18? What do you do? Well, you know, at this point, Netflix has passed HBO Max in price and set a new high bar. So because of that, there's going to be room for price increase. Um, how much? I don't, I don't know from there. Obviously, there's going to be some kind of synergy between um, these different, you know, standalone services coming into one and you'll, you'll have some cross promotion and uh, you'll broaden the audience out and you'll have more subscribers. But uh, I don't know. I don't know where the price lands, Rich. I think it's, you know, Netflix is only 50 cents more than, you know, the core Netflix, the two stream plan is I think 1550 versus $15. And there's actually been a good amount of HBO promotions down at like $12 this year. So I don't know. I mean, if, if I were them, I would just suck it up. I know it's painful, but I think the, you know, in my view, the right thing to do, keep the price the same, throw in a lot more content and actually drive new subscribers drive down churn, like use it as a way yeah. to create meaningful value and tell people, hey, lots more content, same price. Like I think that as a marketing campaign would be far more powerful and far more valuable to discovery than the first thing out of the gate, we're raising the HBO Max because now it includes this other stuff that my guess is, yes, it's nice to have, but I'm not sure it's big needle mover content and could really piss people off if you raise the price. I don't know where everything stands on the elasticity curve, though. And this is a very levered company coming out of the deal. So the question is, can you withstand that extra? Um, yeah, I mean, I think when you look at any transaction where there's consolidation, that provides an opportunity for management teams, um, <clears throat> you know, in some cases to kitchen sink, to in other cases to build in charges. So to the extent that you need to reset your revenue base for these new hires that, you, that you're talking about. The smarter thing to do, and you can give more context of, of whether Zaz is going to would take this approach, is to kitchen sink, start low. You know, kind of building on your point, Rich. You know, maybe even cut price to drive subs higher. Forget about the margins because some of that you can kind of bury into restructuring costs, and then you can pull that ARPU lever. At some point down the road, when things are struggling somewhere else, you're basically saving yourselves. Here's 25 cents, here 50 cents, and that's. So if I was the CEO of a company that I wasn't the founder of, and I'm, you know, because yeah, founders know. tip, founders act um, in ways to generate economic value, even if it has near-term negative benefits to their stock. That's probably the more logical thing to do, which is, you know, 
basically fucking kitchen sink it and then and then give yourself room to to add layer in arpu from there and you know to be clear there's just not that many discovery plus subscribers like we're not talking about and there's obviously no cnn plus subscribers so you know the the actual pain from this to me right you know think about it verizon's paying for a lot of those discovery plus like there isn't a lot of you know you're not really restructuring that many subscribers so you know it it's you know you're adding cost to hbo max but you're going to add cost anyway i mean the whole point of this transaction is to you know, just like we talked heard about Disney, like you got to invest more in content or the streaming's not going to work in the first place. So hopefully they do that, Walt. I hope so. Talking of price points and insanity and setting a new high bar, the new high bar for price points for streaming services appears like it will be the Cubs because the Cubs are planning, again, supposedly, are launching a Cubs network over the top. So they're taking their RSN directly to consumers. This is, remember, this is a joint venture between our good friends, Sinclair and the Cubs. And supposedly the price point they want is $18 a month. Now, what's interesting is, is anyone going to subscribe to that um, if the Cubs don't have a good season after a few weeks? Or even more importantly, what happens when the season ends? Are you subscribing all year or only for the months of baseball season? We'll see how they actually price it. But the talk was $18 a month, which is less than that sort of Sinclair service that we were hearing about in terms of a D2C service of sort of $25 earlier in the year. I don't know how they relate or don't relate, but Brandon, you know, there's a second tweet on here that you should read because I think MSG is also looking at this issue. Yeah, I mean, I'll just go back to the first one for a second. Uh, a key line in there, and well, now I can't see it anymore, but Sorry, I think was a mid MLB resistance. Okay, a mid resistance from MLB, same thing. Yes. Um, so I don't, you know, this is Sinclair is involved with this, obviously. Major League Baseball is in a standoff with Sinclair. So I don't know necessarily whether or not, you know, this is going to go off. And if you bring the tweets back up. Well, let me just stop you there for a second. Part of the issue is baseball wants a comprehensive strategy, not a bunch of one-offs. And so this sort of relates to your MSG point. Like the goal of baseball is to get to how do we create an actual. I didn't make an MSG point. You're, you're going to in a second. It, it, but, my, but what I'm trying to get at is, is that there is baseball is trying to get, okay, we have an out-of-market po- package. How do we create an in-market and out-of-market comprehensive package to consumers? If teams start doing one-offs, it, it makes it even more difficult to actually create kind of a, 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 a one-stop shop for consumers across the country. Now go to MSG, sorry. Okay. So from Major League Baseball to the NBA and NHL, following announcement of Bally Sports DTC product and rumored ones from NBC Sports and Marquee Sports Network, now MSG Networks plans to offer an in-market streaming service. And so on their call, they said, I think they're hoping by the end of the calendar year that that MSG Networks will have a direct-to-consumer service. And there's two things that need to happen. And we've discussed this ad nauseum. One is you need league buy-in. And we just talked about the challenges for Major League Baseball. The NBA and NHL have been much more receptive, even when it comes to Sinclair. However, um, on the Sinclair side, that was just a one-year deal um, that they're doing with the Diamond Sports Networks. MSG has said, and they said on their call, they expect a multi-year deal um, with both the NHL and the NBA. Um, so I'm not sure you t- you're talking about a cohesive strategy and not wanting to have one-offs. This is pretty much a one-off situation and confidence was expressed that they're going to be able to get a multi-year deal done. What do you think of that, Rich? I think that we keep hearing about, you know, investors go, well, why doesn't ESPN just go over the top? And they don't go over the top with ESPN. And I'm going to relate back to the MSG in a second. Trust me for a second. It's just the reason is because the math doesn't work. If you actually kill the bundle for a service that you then launch over the top and you sort of blow up the bundle and you can't get people to subscribe at the high price point you'd have to charge for a sports streaming service and they churn out, you know, weeks or months after taking it. You've blown up your business for what goal? 
uh, in a very good free cash flow creating cable network world. And I think the same thing is true for the RSNs. Is this really a good business decision? Like, I know everyone wants to go streaming, and we're certainly huge advocates of going streaming. But once you start offering MSG without the cable bundle, so you no longer have to have, you know, Charter or Spectrum to have MSG, what happens to cable subscriptions? Like, how does that change? Do they, you know, what happens to the tiering or the packaging of MSG on these MVPDs? And even for people who don't really care about a lot of what's on that, like if you're just a diehard Nick fan and you don't care about, you know, all the other stuff like on the broadcast and cable networks, it makes it that much easier to cut the cord or even choose one of these VMVPDs. Like it's just, I wonder whether the the, the proof point of all of this is going to be is that it's really bad for the underlying business. I have a question for you, Rich. Uh, I'm going to counterpoint you a little bit um, because how many people do you think are out there? that are not going to subscribe to the bundle that will subscribe to just local sports. I think if you're a sports fan, you're going to want the national sports that come on ESPN and come on Turner and come on the broadcast networks. You're not going to just want the Knicks or just want the Rangers. So then what's the point of the service in the first place? If you want the big bundle, if you're a diehard sports fan and you want a big bundle, then you're basically telling me nobody wants this product that everyone's focused on creating. Ding, ding, ding. I think that in so, the, in, it, listen to me, I think in the interim period before ESPN or HBO Max or whoever really blows up the bundle, I think you need to work to create a good over the top product that people are going to want to use. And you can't really do that until you start, you start experimenting with it. So I do do believe that it probably should be out there. Um, I don't think it's going to get that much traction though. I think those Sinclair numbers that they put out there, I think they're fooling themselves. I don't know what MSG networks numbers are going to be, but I expect them to be pretty de minimis. And then that comes to the next question is what's the relationship between MSG networks now and the MVPDs? My guess is that the MVPDs are going to ask for the flexibility in the deals to take penetration minimums down, but it will be kind of a wait and see based on how much traction the -the over-the-top product actually gets. I want to talk about churn because it sort of relates to this whole idea of uh, Brandon's laughing because we have a picture up on the screen. Brandon was driving the other day. Brandon, why don't you describe your drive down to New Jersey before I get into churn management? Okay. Yeah. So decided to- um, This is a reason to watch our podcast, not listen to it. Spend a couple couple of days at the shore, was driving through Northfield, New Jersey, and slammed on the brakes and did a U-turn. Jess is like, why are you turning around? There's no one on the road. What happened? I had to take a picture of the Fubo Gaming headquarters, um, which is in, in, in the Northfield Family Dental Office Park, um, <laughs> along with Niles D. Breslaw, LLC, Success TMS, the Hangar Clinic, the Office of U.S. Trustee Bankruptcy. That seems appropriate, actually. No, no, the bankruptcy <laughs> seems very appropriate. Like they might actually be the perfect partner in the in the. You know, you don't just walk across the street. Was Niles Breslaw Trump's accountant in this strip mall, <laughs> or was that his doctor? I can't remember. Yeah, I no. don't know. I don't even remember that. Someone Google that right now. <laughs> um, I think but that uh, might have been further upstate in Rockland. So the, the other thing, this is from Media Gazer, um, t- and actually TV Answerman uh, broke this story on Twitter earlier in the week, that Fubo has, at least for now, replaced its monthly plan. So instead of subscribing to Fubo at $65 a month, and that's before their RSN charges, with a three-month prepaid package starting at $194.96 for new subscribers. Look, they're clearly trying to reduce churn. To me, just a $200 price point and pay up front for three months seems like a great way to upset subscribers or and cause people to choose YouTube TV or Hulu Live or something as an alternative. Like, I just, 
I don't know, prepaid just seems like a very prepaid for three months seems like a very odd strategy for a VMVPD, unless churn is becoming just a massive issue, or maybe they just need the cash. I don't know. Interesting. Um, it's for new subscribers only. Is there like a psychological element to this where you don't churn because you're afraid you're going to have to come back in and spend all that money up front? I have no idea. Probably not. By the way, Walt, you've met, you said Rockland. That's where Madoff's accountant was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Same strip mall? <laughs> Just in Rockland, like the Rockland yeah. version of it. <laughs> yes. Everywhere I go. <laughs> um, moving on to Twitter, we've got Kurt Wagner saying Twitter thread no one may care about uh, based on the stock performance. He's probably right. Um, but been thinking about Twitter's <laughs> earnings today and specifically Twitter's goal to get to 315 million monetizable daily active users, what they call MDAUs by the end of 23. They have 217 million now to get to 315. They need to grow a little above, he said about, but a little above 20% each of the next two years. Twitter grew 13% in 2021. And to me, this was the, probably the most interesting thing on the Twitter earnings call, because if you think about sort of what crushed the sector, it was Facebook coming out saying, we are facing real competition and usage is falling because TikTok is eating into us. And the market literally took down the, not just Facebook, but they took down everybody figuring that everyone is eating into, or TikTok is eating into everyone. And then Snapchat basically said, our usage looks great. We're not feeling the effects and our revenue growth looks very solid as we come out of the IDFA pain um, or, and recover faster. And we've seen the same thing from Twitter. Twitter's usage, uh, user numbers are actually really good. And you know, I think the fact that they have line of sight that this year is going to grow 20% plus, and they seem exceedingly confident. Remember, they predicted at the beginning of last year, they said, we're going to grow this exact time last year. They said, we're going to grow 20% plus in Q1. We're going to have tougher issues in the next few quarters. And that's exactly what played out. And so I think they have a lot of credibility on their ability to forecast MDAUs. They, you know, they're seeing a lot of new people coming in. Their new user acquisition and new user engagement is what's giving them the confidence. And yeah, I know that this is the stock is suffering because people just don't believe the monetization story is really going to be there. There but you go. I, I get it. I, I know. But users are really growing at a very healthy rate. And mm -hmm. the DR side of their business is finally starting to kick in. And I think as DR kicks in, there's still, it's only 15% of overall revenue. So there's a long way to go versus the Facebooks and others in the world. This is, there's a really good revenue story building at Twitter. I know no one believes it today, but I think that's the big opportunity in the stock over the next 12 months is that the user numbers uh, combined with DR kicking in create a very significant tailwind heading into 23. Couple observations, Rich. First of all, we do need to say, Twitter did not get destroyed really on the Facebook um, situation that much because people understand it's a completely different use case. Um, they definitely will have these sort of midterm elections as a tailwind on, um, on user growth, at least in the US, um, kind of going in. And by the way, they've done a good job on users. As you point out, that is that is not the problem anyone really has with Twitter at this point. It's the kind of broken, ongoing broken promises on the monetization side. And they turned on DR and you didn't see that massive jump um, in kind of compounding revenue growth the way you did. What happened when Snap turned, turned DR on in a big way? And got to self-service like you saw you know if it wasn't for this idfa issue like 50 percent top line compounding growth and off to the races and you've not been seen that with twitter so the question is is twitter first of all the right um platform for dr we that is not yet proven number one and number two is can they execute on the ad tech side in the same way that others have you're certainly seeing crypto and sports betting companies using Twitter very aggressively and, and it, you know, based on the way they're spending and sort of the commentary from, remember, DR doesn't usually spend unless it works and you spend more yep. when it really works. So all signs point to that DR is working for at least those two categories because you're seeing a continued ramp in the spend. 
makes so, a lot of sense for both those categories. So, well, if you're really, if you're really, it all ties into topics. If you get more people following topics, so you know what they're interested in, you should be able to deliver relevant DR advertising of things people are interested in. Th- that's the goal. Is that and they have the an whole, interest graph? The whole crypto community is on Twitter. Yep. Um, number one, right on that centralized platform. Um, and sports fans use Twitter pretty aggressively. So what is this about, Brandon? You want to give us Call of Duty? I think this is sort of what you expected. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Microsoft, Call of Duty, and other popular AB, that's Activision Blizzard games, will continue to be released on PlayStation and Nintendo platforms beyond current agreements. Uh, two reasons for this. We've we've this was our expectation. One is they want to get this deal approved. And number two is I think it's all about advantaging subscription um, and showing the relative value of having it in their these games in their subscription versus upfront sale. And they meaning would, that they would never be part of a, they would never be able to get into that subscription unless you owned it. That is the big if you really think about what the power of this transaction is, it's getting yeah, it into their they believe in subscription and are trying to build their subscription service. And they don't want to, you know, completely cannibalize all the upfront sales, especially like on on a Nintendo platform, which could the, could the government big, force them but, to could the government force them to open it up to other subscriptions as well? Is I don't think the, I, I doubt the government is thinking like that. And especially since subscription is not a priority at any of their competitors yet. Right. So what are you really opening it up to? Walt's favorite topic that he can <laughs> haze me about is Peloton. Um, this is sort of read it because <laughs> <laughs> he hates Peloton um, exactly or he just he, he hates it. home fitness. <laughs> Rich, I think I've said on the on prior podcasts, your use of the term hate is a bit excessive. I don't hate okay. anything. Um, I'm, I was appropriately skeptical of how a piece of ex- exercise equipment would a, would become a clothes hanger like every other piece of exercise equipment before it. While other people were pitching this as some big media play <clears throat> like GoPro. So what's interesting now, because you were 100% right, literally 100% right, Peloton hopes to regain its footing by replacing its CEO. This is from Carol Lombardo of the Wall Street Journal. Ending plans for a new factory and making several other changes, all the details. And well, one footnote to that um, announcement was when they were announcing this CEO, the new CEO, he really kicked things off to a great start at Peloton by alerting by email the 1,800 people that they had just fired about the introductory, um, <clears throat> the introductory video or, or conference or Zoom, whatever they were using to it. So great job on your new start, new CEO of Peloton. Barry McCarthy. Um, so Barry McCarthy is a um, friend of the shed for sure. We've known Barry a long time. He was CFO of Netflix um, years ago. Then he was CFO. Uh, actually, he was board member of Pandora, which I always like that story. And then left Pandora and actually became CFO of Spotify, retired, I want to say 18 months ago from Spotify, and now has just been named CEO of Peloton. And it's going to be interesting Barry obviously knows subscription probably as a CFO better than anyone on the planet. I don't think he's got any background in in fitness or home fitness. Does he know how to sell a company? Does he have any experience in selling a company? I don't think he's got a background. Last week's narrative, or maybe it was the week before that, was that Peloton was going to sell itself to Nike and Apple and everyone else. Amazon, yep. So if you're the CEO of a company that you appear to believe is well-respected as the CEO of one of your favorite companies, um, would you take a job if they were just about to sell it, if that wasn't your expertise? I would think that this means it's not being sold. Okay. This, This is my, I think my answer lies somewhere in between what you guys are both saying. Um, I think that eventually they would like to sell it, but why would Amazon or Nike or Apple or any potential suitor ever want to take on a problem child right now whose inventories are completely out of whack, uh, who needs all sorts of help in terms of cleaning up um, the employee base, right-sizing the cost structure, all of that. 
So they brought someone in who is a former CFO to right-size the company and figure that out. Unfortunately, you know, it doesn't seem like Barry's like a culture guy. <laughs> and, and you're going to also need somebody in there to fix the culture. And they did not get off to the right start. Well, first on. of all, to answer your question, um, Apple is the expert in logistics. So that would be a reason for them to buy him. But then for those that were pitching Apple as the buyer, Apple, they don't, that's just someone that's never followed Apple that, you know, how many companies are going to get quote unquote rescued by Apple. The, the last major acquisition they they did was Beats. And I think that was for a variety of reasons. And I'm not sure everyone thought that, that was the best acquisition ever. Wow. Um, but when you, but, and to answer your second question in terms of a CEO that, that knows how to fix a broken culture, um, friend of the shed, John Ledger should have been Peloton's hire if that's what they wanted to accomplish. Cause there is no better executive on the planet that would know how to fix a culture like that than John Ledger. Do you think John Ledger would want that, that job? That's, that's a different story. Maybe not. <laughs> probably not. It's probably not big enough. Probably not a big enough payday for him. But I mean, that's the, t- that's the type of executive you want, not a fucking CFO. No offense, Rich. Um, Barry's had ambitions to be a CEO for many years. I think in many ways, that's sort of like, right. I've got ambitions to be an NFL quarterback. <laughs> I mean, he, it's kind of weird. He had ambitions. He tried to become a CEO. I think he left Netflix because he had ambitions of becoming a CEO and no one ever hired him for that position. So now Joe he's was saying he's a running health nut. Okay. So I gamble. So should I be CEO of DraftKings? I mean, come on. Um, by the way, if Ledger was to do it, then he couldn't be on Clubhouse all the time. I think <laughs> I, I think I get like eight alerts. Does Clubhouse, a day. Still, does Clubhouse I, still exist? Only to John Ledger. <laughs> I literally I didn't know. even He's know Clubhouse no. still existed. He, he, he has moved off of Clubhouse. He's been doing a lot of Twitter spaces now. <clears throat> uh, let's go to our last slide, which uh, ties into my lovely background of downtown uh, somewhere in China. Uh, this is Rick Porter. Winter Olympic ratings are down by a lot from 2018, down 50% for the first four days, and last summer's down 23%. Um, but the the reality is, and he, he goes uh, in a Stephen A. Smith voice, however, both num- both percentages are in line with broadcast drops as a whole since 2018 and the gap between most summer and winter Olympics. And Thanks for not doing that in a Stephen A. Smith voice. I, I did not. That's a tough um, one to do. <laughs> you have to be very expressive. How about the Stephen A. Smith baby voice? Remember those those YouTube oh, yeah, those around awesome. where it was like shrunken yeah. Stephen A. Smith baby face? Can we do I that? Just think, I think it's, you know, in many ways, I think this is sort of very similar to Brandon's question about name five, name the five or three, even three Academy Award films, like name five Olympic athletes that, or even three Olympic athletes that you're excited to see. I think sort of just the lack of enthusiasm around or the star power whether that's NBC's fault for not playing it up, or I, I don't even know whose fault, but there clearly is no one who's excited for the actual individual stars. And that I think is the biggest underlying problem. There were two people that, pe- that were exciting to see in the Olympics this year. One was Sean White in his final go around. The other was uh-huh. Lindsay Jacobellis, also in her final go around. These are people who were established a long time ago um, that were kind of like sunsetting and Lindsay won, obviously. Um, and no one gives a shit about literally anything else going on there because there's no personalities that matter. And I think what you've just described is the problem with how sports is getting packaged today by NBC and others. And that is they have a narrative going in. When you say the only people that anyone was interested in was Sean White and that other poor athlete um, that crashed and, and was crying, it's because that's what NBC was jamming down people's throats for weeks straight. And the bottom line is that good sports narratives are from the unexpected. The per, like Derek Jeter when they when the when the Yankees first won the World Series was the unexpected young player that was the hero hero of the World Series. This is exactly why I rail against Joe Buck. He goes into every game that he that he announces with a narrative, and then just never deviates from the narrative, and it's annoying and boring as shit. And NBC. Did the exact same thing they do with every Olympics, and like you build up, a, you build up an athlete. There's plenty of other interesting <laughs> stories that could exist 
that, that are out there that they could go after. Now my 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 dog's is that Bodie? About this. Yeah. He's trying to this is a real question. Was Bodie named after former former Olympic medal Bodie Miller? <laughs> no, he was adopted because adopt don't shop. And that's the name that he came with. So getting back to the to the to my rant, which is the reason they created their own monster by focusing on two old. Oh my God. Hold on. Walt has muted himself for the listeners. Because, because they <laughs> they focused on two old washed up athletes rather than allowing the narrative to to define itself. Like, are you surprised that a 35-year-old athlete didn't win? Or that someone that won two times before in a highly competitive sport maybe had some some you know issues in trying to get down the slope? I mean, give me a break. Just let the narrative be. it's okay. Sports will like if the, if football is any judge. Like there was no narrative in the in the football games or the playoffs. The narrative was the games themselves and how great the games were, and that's why the NFL content is great. It's not because Joe Buck is is determining some fucking narrative about some quarterback. It's because the games are great and you have players in a competitive in a competitive sport that have these great uh, these great games that people find interesting to watch, and there's great drama as a result. Thank you. That's all I got to say. We do. I lied. This is not our final. It was our final slide, but are not our our final discussion topic. We've got one more discussion topic because we always like to get a little bit of crypto into our podcast. And so we have a really special TikTok that Walter found this week that I'm going to (laughs) play. So this is from Sick Boy Cole. Wise words from a crypto expert in New York City. Sick Boy Um, Cole. (laughs) the, The text on this, just for the people that are not watching it, is this man knows more about crypto than 90% of the people using this app. And so now I'm going to play this. So, 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 hey, hey, so for TikTok, we're in New York. I want to ask you one question, okay? So what's, what's your one crypto advice to all people, okay? Let's hear it. Yeah, buy and fucking hold. Hold, 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 hold. Let's go, When you see a dick. I don't know. It's a homeless person. I have no idea. They went up to him on the street. Just amazing. Because he's still holding, because he bought Doge and he's still holding to it onto his Doge now living in a cardboard box. <laughs> I think. It's amazing. It's literally amazing. I mean, shattering the hopes and dreams. But Brandon, you have been right. Crypto's had a very nice bounce. I know. I mean, you know, my, my doubling down was definitely good that you suggested. You got your tax loss. I got a tax yeah. loss, and I and I you have bought recovered some, nicely. You bought some NFTs. Um, I have not bought NFTs. I've been given NFTs, but yes, I mean, I am certainly intrigued by this explosion of NFTs. Not NFTs for NFTs, but NFTs as content creation. Just seeing more and more people and jumping identity, into it. And identity, Rich. What, I mean, what? look at how you're using it. You're using it as identity. Your Twitter PFP is an NFT. PFP. Profile, profile picture. Wow, yeah. that's like a very millennial of you, Brandon. PFP. What is this song we're listening to? This is a request from one of our longtime listeners about a new day being dawning. You may you may remember it from a very popular television show known as Breaking Bad. I did love that show. Is my hair still red today, or we're back? We're like, are uh, we okay? We already said it's green, Rich. It's green. Your hair is but it's, green. It's really green. It like has it really a green, green tint. Yes, it's definitely tinted green. You think it's the green screen doing that? No, maybe. We're yeah, all using be. green screen. <laughs> it could be a reflection of the light off the green screen because your hair is gray and it's just you're like the chameleon. It's just <laughs> absorbing whatever colors are around you. Maybe get a red screen. It doesn't Everyone have to. Is, you, know, you realize a green screen doesn't have to be green, right? You know, I was out in L.A. this week and several people mentioned the discussion of my hair color on the podcast. Like it literally was like a regular discussion this week. By the way, that <laughs> a bunch of people brought that up to me after also. <laughs> it was it was a real thing, Rich. People are looking at your hair color and, and, and maybe they're, they're looking for inspiration for their ne- next hair color. Well, I'm not sure that they were looking at it. It was just hard to not notice. <laughs> Rich, 
we love maybe you. we'll crystal get everyone blues. no no maybe Static everyone will go to acupuncture now i've started doing acupuncture so maybe everyone will start doing acupuncture that's a scam. We'll talk about it that's a scam i i Great. found it very relaxing walter very i relaxing. believe the word you're looking for is placebo which is it forces you it forces you, you it, it forces you to be in a laying down position and you can't move so if you just okay. lay down in that same position for that same period of time and like had someone, I don't know, like pinch your back or something, it would probably have the same impact in my view. Or just get a massage. Yes, or that. Or just that is, relax. That, well, I'm Chill. trying to relax. Rich, you know why? A new day is dawning. Rich is born again, though. A lot of people have noticed on your Instagram your new persona anyone who kinder, doesn't follow and gentler and anyone who doesn't follow rich on instagram please look at his stories he is constantly posting new inspirational things about being open-minded oh, i forgot about, about that yes yeah <laughs> oh yeah dude yeah someone someone texted me the rails rich's new persona is out of control but i think yes. everyone should embrace it because it's a it's a newer better you someone else actually asked me for a choice a or choice b is a rich now in therapy or b did rich he's start trying to dr- he's weed? trying to he's trying to drown you out maybe with the music <laughs> we love you rich we love that's you episode 93 you. have a great weekend everyone Bye-bye.